this random person was like doing a massive flyer and like lost control and somehow just like crashed straight into the back of me. Like, like I didn't even see it happen. So he like crashed straight into the back of me. Um, and then I just like remember hitting the ground like so hard. Oh. And I remember, I remember like hitting it, lying on the ground and knowing like I'd really hurt myself. G'day legends and welcome back to the Press Room Podcast presented by Zwift. Good to be back for another episode. Today, we're previewing the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, which of course is happening this weekend. We've got the men's on the Sunday and the women's on the Saturday. And to help me with a preview and to talk about his ambitions for the race as well, we're chatting with Elliot Schultz. Now, Elliot rides for Team Bridge Lane, but he is racing for the Australian team here at Cadell's. They've got a little um, composite team like we saw in TDU, um, of course, with Cadell with Caleb Ewan and also Jared Drusnes from the World Tour uh, and then five youngsters looking to make their mark. Now, this episode, guys, this episode is is two parts, okay? The first part is us talking about Cadell's, um, how the Australian team sort of uh, working together, how their team meetings go, how they prepare for the race, what Elliot's goals are um, as an aspiring professional and, uh, you know, we sort of preview how it might go on. There's going to be crosswinds. It's, it's quite a nice little preview and very relaxed as well, as usual. But the second half, everyone, okay, the second half. We're going to do this episode in two parts. But this, this story, Elliot Schultz last year had this incredible story of um, his, he had this terrible crash in Europe. And it is absolutely insane. It takes about half an hour to get through the story, and it's on the second half of this episode. So, legends. We've had some great guests on. We've had great professionals. We've had, you know, some of the best riders in the world on the podcast. But this story is just mental. So, check out the preview at the start. I hope you enjoy that. Bit of shit talk, chatting about Cadell's, how it will go. And from a cool perspective, you know, not from the World Tour perspective, but from a young aspiring uh, under-23 who's looking to get on the World Tour himself. And now he's found himself in the Australian team racing at Cadell's. And uh, he's coming off a really um, great block of training from zero, which you'll hear more about. And, uh, yeah, and then get into this story. You just must listen to it. It is it's, um, it's incredible. It's going to be on YouTube as well, and I'd probably recommend actually listening to the story on YouTube just so you can get a feel for Elliot and just how he handled everything. You can kind of see he really approached it with a level head. But, um, yeah, that's all I'll say. You've got to listen to it. It's incredible. Elliot, a top bloke. I look forward to uh, catching up and warning, mate. But, uh, yeah, before we get stuck in the episode, big thanks to Zwift, of course, the podcast presenting sponsor. I'm wearing my Zwift shirt right now, actually. Got my Zwift kit in the mail the other day. It is banging. I'm pretty impressed. The design is so cool. So make sure you check out the Tour de Zwift kit. Um, and the Tour de Zwift is on right now, too. It runs until February. So, uh, yeah, make sure you get on there and tick off all the stages and unlock the cool kit. And, of course, thanks to Cyclic, uh, the summer sponsor of the podcast, um, yeah, get the dash cam for cyclists, look after you on the road, capturing all the footage. Um, it's dare to say, Elliot Schultz would have loved to cyclic fly six on his bike um, for the crash that he spoke about in Belgium. And then, of course, Attacker. We're going to be giving away some socks and giveaways and that sort of stuff as we get through uh, the next few episodes, stepping into the European season. And, uh, of course, Smith Optics. I've got a new pair of sunnies on the way, the XCs, right? And I'll do a little review on YouTube for you guys so you can check them out. They are <laughs> they are elite, guys, seriously. They are elite. Okay, legends, it's time to get stuck into this episode, okay? We've got the preview for Cadell's Ocean, Great Ocean Road Race, so look out for Elliot Schultz. Let's cheer him on uh, on Sunday and then stick around on the second half for just the most hectic story ever and a real redemption story as well and how to uh, overcome adversity adversity, and a, and a real challenge as well. Um, and it'll, I guess it'll, mate, you'll definitely get tickets on Elliot Schultz after this because you'll just be impressed that he still wants to ride his bike. Okay, legends, thanks for listening. Enjoy this one. We'll see you soon. Eight o'clock where you are. Um, what, so you just had your team meeting or you just had dinner? Uh, we just had, there's like a bit of a buffet happening here. Um, they've kind of got like the teams a bit split up. So there's like half the teams in the race at um, Geelong down at Novotel and then half of the teams at the Sands in Torquay. So I think year to year, they kind of just like switch it 
switch the teams around because if you're in Geelong, you're literally like on the start line. So it's like super convenient. Where if like if you're in the stands, it's like a bit of more of a hike, but it's pretty cool out here. So it's it's nice. So you guys are at Sands? Yeah, yeah. Right. And what other yeah. teams are at Sands? Um, there's like UAE, um who else is here? Like Quick Step. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm meant to be saying this, but yeah, that's who. <laughs> Sure, yeah. I was just wondering if it was like yeah. some sort of hierarchy because uh... uh I think well I think last time last time the race was happening, um I think the teams that are here were back at the Geelong one. So I think they like to make it fair, I guess, like switch oh, it around a little bit. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the national team was on at Geelong last time as well, except now we're at the Sands. Mm. So yeah. Sweet. But it's cool. What's the buffet the room, the room? Yeah, it's it's actually really nice. But the buffet is like pretty dangerous, so I'm just like trying to hold back <laughs> and wait till after Sunday to rip in a oh, little bit. Mate, I wrecked yeah. myself on the buffet. I was at the Novotel for the Bay Crits, so yeah, 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 bad buffet every day. Oh yeah, yeah, you would have been too. Yeah, it is very good there. Novotel job. Yeah. Yeah. Three days of was it three days of buffets? Yeah, but then it was three days of buffet, and then it was uh, like seven days of buffet at the Tour Down Under. At oh, to you, yeah, and yeah. Your name was buffet. You would have thought I was yeah. French. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's good. So you had your, um, so you just done team dinner, and then you yep. had um, like, what's the deal with the meeting? Is is the the coach is it Christian Johnson Andrews? He the yeah, and so yeah, Andrews taking care of like he's doing the the men's DSing and stuff like that, um, and then I guess kind of it's just a lot of people from all different teams coming together so it's just kind of like getting to know each other and yeah. and it's always always a little bit tricky because you do like your season with your trade team and then for all like these once-off races like you you get put together with riders who you don't normally ride with so as mm. like a national team it's 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 kind of it's kind of hard to like get it 100 percent right um in such a short period of time so um we'll see how we go on the weekend i think it should be pretty good though so you've got the Australian team. You've got obviously yourself. You have got Declan, yeah, uh, Treze. Oh, Kane Richards is in there. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Liam Walsh, Zach Marriage, um, Drizners, and Ewan. I mean, those four are all in the TDU team. And then yep. you three have come in now. You did that. Yeah. You raced it last year as well. So two and a Um, I did. Yeah, I did it in twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, yeah, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I was I was young baby then when I did that. It was so it was a little bit ago. Um, but. Uh, this year we're doing it in the opposite direction to what I would have done it then, um. So it switched up, um. And the, like I got sent the wind map for Sunday, and I think the racing should be pretty exciting for like a spectating point of view. Like I think it's pretty much going to be crosswinds for the entire race, nearly. Really? Yeah. Serious. Yeah. So I think it will be pretty fun to watch. Yeah. See. And what is it? Yeah. Yeah. The wind map. Yeah, like just like the wind direction for Sunday. Yeah. Like the pro, the predicted, like obviously can change, but um, yeah, that's a pretty good cool yeah bit of information. It's funny that's something they wouldn't even teams wouldn't even cared about the wind, like yeah, five yeah, years yeah. Ago, but now, yeah, no, that's true. That's, yeah, yeah, okay. so a bit of unpredictability. Uh, Elliot, uh, what's what are some of the things that the team talks about during the um, team meeting? Like what? Uh, like what are some of the things that are covered? Is it like a little presentation? Um, like what does it look like? I guess just more so just having a, like a chat about what people want to get out of the race. Um, obviously because uh, for the riders, it's also like an opportunity, like who don't have a world tour contract, like to like show themselves to world tour teams, yeah. um, like, like straight up against them where it's a little bit different. Um, if you like go throughout your season doing UCI races overseas and things like that, where you, um, like trying to like rack up results, for example, to then like gain attention where here's a little bit different. You're already like you're racing directly against them. So there's like that. Then there's also, I guess, like there's riders who already do have world tour contracts. So um, also like what they want to get out of it as well. So just more so things like that. Um, and then also just having discussion really about how the race could potentially play out and how um, we're going to manage like each different scenario. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Nothing too, nothing too crazy. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's an interesting environment because, you know, say for example, like I mean, like yourself, Liam, Zach, um, well, Kane, Declan. I mean, you guys are all there. You'd love to put your name out there. Yeah. Uh, a strong ride, but like, yeah. you know, um, 
well, you know, it, you can't all do it. I well, mean, yeah, exactly, yeah. You're not going to have six Aussie blokes just, you know, dancing away for the KOL yeah, for sure. early, but like... Yeah, exactly, the field is high. Is it more like um, to say, for example, like are you able to share your goals for the, for the race? Um, well, for like for like the race meeting for this one currently, I think we're having that tomorrow um, and, or the next day to talk mm. properly about like how we're going to race the race. Mm. Um, but my personal ambitions is um, I'd like to, I would personally, I'd like to try and get a really good result. Um, I had a good ride at nationals. Yeah. Um, but and then since then, I'm probably about like ten or fifteen percent better than what I was at nationals. Um, just really? because, yeah, because at nationals, I, I, I had a ten week, I had ten weeks on the bike. Yeah. Um, after my accident. Yeah. Because uh, I had a bad accident in Belgium, so then I was off the bike for three months. Um. So, yeah. So then my nationals prep was only like ten weeks of training after having three months off, and it wasn't just like a three months off it was um like injuries and recovery and operations and being sick um so um to like to go from like pretty much like zero to trying to get the best form i could be in 10 Um, weeks yeah it was yeah 10 weeks and you it was 15 16th yeah 16th yeah yeah 16th in the roadie that is yeah that is quality you're kind of in between uh that sort of leading group that yeah, I know. I, I, know. <laughs> I, I think I just else. need like I just need like thirty more seconds because to be honest, like didn't really race the smartest race. I, like it wasn't any like massive attacks or anything like that. But when you do like a number of little attacks, it kind of just like whittles you down over the duration of the race. So then when on that last one, um, because like I said, like I knew for the race I was fit, but I didn't know like how fit I was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of an unknown going into those final few laps, what I was going to be feeling like. Mm. Um, so if I had known, like I would have had the legs um, in the final, probably would have raced it a bit more smart, but I was kind of just going in a blind a little bit, like yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, yeah. So I think I was just missing like the last like 30 seconds to a minute of this like full gas riding on that last, on that last little kick. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, then once they got over that, it was kind of done. So yeah. Mm. But but since but for that I was yeah I was feeling fit but I definitely wasn't bombing and didn't have like those sort of sensations so I'm start I feel like going really well now so I think it should be good if the race if like you just got, you got to be in the race at the end obviously so it would be interesting to see what happens especially if it starts to get windy mm. yeah definitely um, definitely I'll chat about that a bit more um, afterwards but, yeah um, yeah I guess. Well, that's bloody good. So, what did you? What kind of training were you doing after nationals, leading up until now, knowing that you had a really good ride? Maybe surprised yourself a bit yeah. just how well you did. What kind? Yeah, yeah. Of, what were you doing in between? Um, more so after nationals, I probably had two. I had like two days off the bike, um, just like a little micro break. Um, but I was I was kind of like able to like press on quite maybe a little bit more than say somebody coming off like a full season was able to, just because I was just I'm still like rebuilding yeah. to back to like what I was because I would, would just wasn't coming off like this big season and then doing like a massive nationals prep. Yeah. So then like maybe you're, you're a bit fatigued and needing a bit more time off. Um, so kind of didn't really need that. So I could afford to have just a few easy days and then just start rebuilding again. So just like some volume, like a bit more volume. Um, and then I guess this specificity for the racing that like that's required for Cadell. So I don't know, more decisive power. It's only a one-day race, so you don't really need to be good the following day, but you need to be able to, <laughs> like, you need to be able to be at the end still. So so would you be looking at, like you say, specificity? Are you sort of looking at the, how do you say, Shalumba climb? Yes, yeah. So I guess, like, that short power is pretty important. So I don't know, looking at things like, oh, for example, doing, like, efforts, for example, maybe six minutes and then six minutes around like that threshold and then like one to two minutes really full gas mm. um and being able to like repeat that because you got to like to be in the race you got to be able to repeat that a number of times at the back end yes. so like having like your fatigue resistance um then also being able to i don't know be able to punch over and have a good good like short tt power as well because like you got to get to the finish after the climb as well mm. um it's it's honestly hard to say because there's so many different variables to it hey but this is more so being able to on a big a good one day racer 
like mm. for example. Okay. I mean, yeah. the course, I was trying to find a, I found this other website that had a really good profile of it because the one on the, well, there's not a profile on the website, but yeah, five times up the Shalambo descent, descent yep. it's called Crescent, Shalambo Crescent, 1.3K, 7.9%, and then it yeah. kicked up pretty steep in lines. It's like a wall when you look at it on it's, TV. Yeah, it is, it is really steep, yeah. Yeah, so you've got five yeah. of those after 100Ks, yep. and then the last one is like 9Ks from the finish. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, and even yeah. the first part of the race is a little more challenging than it was when you did. Yeah, like there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a climb straight out the block. So with that with wind as well, so I don't know, it'd be, I think it would be hard. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say exactly what training needs to be done because honestly, like, I know there's probably a billion different training methods you could do to to get into the shape you need to be in, but I guess this, I, every coach is different. I guess I could mm-hmm. say that I'm preparing like one way for it, and then another athlete will say that a different thing. Like there's just so many different things. Who, who coaches you, Elliot? Uh Pete Richards. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, Pete Richards from Tico Training. I've been with him for a few years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. What about your What about fueling for the race? So like. Um, I'm interested to know what's the nutrition plan look like for this race. Um, 176 Ks. What are you, what are we looking at? Like, like four hours of racing. Yeah. Yeah. Four hours. Last year's race was, well, 2020, the last one. Let's just, I'll I'll see how long it is. Uh, 2020 driven ends, trees driven ends, quick step, four hours, five. So yeah, what does it look like? Um, I reckon, it's pretty stock standard for what's going around at the moment. I feel like at like at like an elite level, I guess like everyone's aiming for like eighty to one hundred grams of carbs an hour. Like, so it's pretty it's pretty stock standard stuff. Um, and then I guess another important thing is just staying on top of like sodium um, to avoid cramping. Um, typically, well, at road nationals, for example, um, I was taking in mostly um, sodium through like your bottles and trying not to have like carb mix mm. because because you do so many laps of Bunning Young, you can obviously feed every lap. And if you're having, say, like 16 bottles, which sounds crazy, but it's, it is a thing because of how hot it is. Yeah. And then if you're doing like 16 laps and every time you take a bottle, it's full of sugar mix. It, and then plus then you're eating on top of that it can upset your stomach pretty easily. So um, just like trying to find like a balance where you have like a nice bit on where there's some sodium in it, but also tastes a little bit watery as well. So it's super easy to digest and is on your easy on the stomach. Mm. And then taking on your carbs, which is pretty easy to do now. Like you've got um, like scratch lab things um, that have lots of carbs in it, like all the different brands, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but yeah, we use scratch labs. So you have those um, that are really high in carbs. And you can rack up the, the carb intake through like gels and bars and food pretty easily. Mm. Yeah. Do Scratch do gels? Yeah, they do. Wow. Scratch Labs. Yeah, that's um that's a big uh change in um I think that's you know how a lot of talk in the last couple of years about how much faster the Peloton is? Yeah, that's yeah. Because yeah. they're bloody eating. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bikes the one thing, training yeah, yeah. is another. But the third yeah. thing, and probably most important is the fact they're not rolling out eating fucking apples. Yeah, you, know, you smash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard up to 120 uh, yeah, yeah. grams per hour. Did you have to? Tra- you have to like, you obviously have to train that. Yeah, right? you definitely have to get used to it. I think, um, for me personally, I train pretty much most of the time on like your mixes and gels and things yeah. like that. Um, it's probably not like super cost effective because you're just like constantly having to like get all different types of nutrition things to go out training every day. Yeah. Um, but I reckon it's definitely handy come race day because your body's just so much more used to it and you're not just going like bananas, for example, while it's out training and then it comes to like race day or, or even like having sandwiches or something and yeah. then it comes to race day and you're just randomly whacking all this all this gels and gooey stuff into you. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, you need, to pra- you need to practice what you'd be racing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Okay, sounds yeah. like you've got that pretty dialed in. But like... Uh, is it just something that already is consciously in your mind to feed at you know got I've got to get the you know got to get these two gels in first yeah, out I, three gels or do you have something prompting you or um I guess you just pretty much just look down and I don't know I aim for every thirty minutes just to have 
have your your feed and then mm. yeah pretty it's pretty straightforward to be honest like um you can see it half an hour goes pretty long anyway so you tend to not miss it yeah yeah, yeah. unless it's like full gas in the yeah 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 true <laughs> what what about the there is a feed zone for this 160 176k is it a feed zone? Um, honestly i'm not too i know it's feeding from the car but um in terms of feed zone i'm honestly not too sure i would assume there might be something out on course there has to be hundreds. Yeah, six. There has to be probably. Uh, oh, it'll probably be after like maybe at the eighty k mark. Maybe I don't know. But feeding from the car, what's that like? Is that challenging? Um, honestly, not not really. Especially if you've got an experienced driver, like it makes it a lot easier. Um, just like coming back. Um, just knowing like the position to to have you in, so you're not like bumping against the car, for example. Um, being able to like take you back to the group. Yeah. Um, being able to like hand you bottles like a certain way, not just I know just making your life easier, really. Yeah. Um, where maybe if it's somebody who's never done it before, it could just be I don't know not very cohesive, and it just is a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Where like for example, like someone like Andrew has been doing it for for so many years now. It's yeah. pretty pretty straightforward, I guess. Yeah, he's pretty experienced. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, the just an average person watching at home, or maybe somebody just races like yeah, C or D grade or something like that. Yeah, the yeah. Idea of leaving the bunch. Yeah. Getting something to from the car and then having to get back to the bunch. It sound it would yeah. sound very difficult, but yeah, it would. It may drivers. sound difficult, yeah, but honestly, I reckon if they were to try, it's a lot easier than what it would. Yeah, it sounds, but yeah. Yeah, when you're getting yeah. that bottle and you know it's being palmed up. Yeah. As soon as your hand hits that bottle, the car's revving. You know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You get, a bit of, you get a bit of push from the um, <laughs> from yeah, the, for sure from the car, but something that definitely takes practice, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. But I think it's it can be an easy skill to learn for sure. Mm. To to anybody who thinks that they couldn't do it, I'd be pretty confident to say they'd be able to. Um, does the climb, Chalambra, is that something in your you'd say suits you? Yeah, yeah, I reckon um for a like a one day race, I think this course suits me pretty well. Um, because I'm kind of like in between. I'm not I'm not a sprinter, but um I have like a pretty like a fairly decent sprint on me. Um, but also like I think all through like the different power ranges and things like that, um, I'm fairly solid in all of them. Yeah. Um, especially for example, like your forty seconds up to three minutes and and like yeah. the repeal like repeatability of that um and it's kind of hard because like there's it's hard to always pick a race that has those characteristics in it because there's always all different types of types of things but i think it being decisive at the end is good mm. being and being like fairly close to the finish but not too not too bad mm. um so yeah we'll see do you think um what do you are you in, is it intimidating st- you know starting against it's a world tour race. So you're starting oh. against yeah, some of the best riders in the world. I mean, I would be a little bit, I don't know, just a bit, I, I could see how riders yeah. would get nervous. Yeah, I could, I can, yeah, I, I can see how you could be intimidated in a way, but I think the, I think the intimidation factor maybe comes from like, I don't know, maybe you see them on like TV or for example, and it's kind of like, oh, um, they seem non-human, but at the end of the day, every, like, Everyone in the race is human. They all, it's all the same. You know what I mean? Like, mm. the only thing different is maybe they can push a few more watts, kind mm. of thing. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um. So in terms of intimidation, not really. Um. Definitely, like, have a lot of respect for the world tour riders because it's yeah. definitely the hardest. I would say it's definitely the hardest sport in the world. Yes. So definitely have a, a ton of respect for anybody who's in that position. So yes. I would say more so, like, you have respect for them. Because of it, like to be in that spot, uh, but not really intimidation. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, when on race day, Sunday, isn't it? Is it Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Yep. Uh, feels weird, you know. It's Thursday. We got a day off. You know, I only went back to work this week, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Sunday. What's can you take everyone through? What does it look like when you get out of bed to when you get to the start line? What is that lineup? Um, pretty much wake up with like compulsory coffee. But like, hang on a second, we can't race too far ahead. When you're waking up, what wakes you up? Is it like a phone? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, phone alarm. Are you straight up or do you snooze? Have you got 10 alarms? No, I'll probably, I'll probably like maybe set my, I don't know. I see, you see so much stuff in there. Like people are like, oh, don't, when you wake up, don't check your phone straight away and things like that. So I probably, probably doesn't sound good, but I probably, I set my alarm maybe like 10 minutes early from what I needed to. And then it like can't think on my phone, and, like catch up on things <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. like 10 minutes or so. And then, um, I don't know, like message, family, friends, girlfriend. Um, then I don't know, after a few minutes, like get up and then go get breakfast. But I don't know, is that bad? Is it bad to like go straight on your phone? Do you do that? Wait, straight away. How do you think yeah, I know yeah. these things about cycling? I just look I'm straight I away, mate. I'm on first cycling to see yeah, how yeah. Straight stage up. four I'm, of uh what do you reckon first cycling go. or first cycling or pro cycling stats? Nah, first cycling. You reckon? The, the pro cycling stats dude yeah. is weirdo. He's a he is a bit yeah, I don't know if, if anyone I've never I've never met. I don't even I don't even know who's this run by. Well, on it's run by the South African dude, and I used to yeah. go pro cycling stats for sure. I mean, I used to have the app. Yeah, used to be yeah, used yeah, to, yeah. You know, pay for the pro version as well. Uh yeah. Um, oh, wow. but on Twitter, he's pretty active, and he's yeah, like, yeah. He's just said some real just off things. And yeah, right. Just, yeah, mainly against he's always criticizing women cycling, so everyone kind of boycotted oh, okay. him a little bit and went first. Yeah, cycling. okay. But yeah. You know, it's a good, it's a good um, platform. But anyway, yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with being off uh, on the phone. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're on your phone, you yep. checked all your stuff, messaged everyone, said, "Hey, going, I'm going to win today." Then you go on breakfast. What kind of, what does that look like? What's the um, go to? Obviously, if you're going to race accommodation, sometimes you might be able to get what you normally would have at home, but normally aim for something like toast or bagel something like that mm. white bread um mm. having those um with some eggs um then pretty like stock stand maybe like some wheat bix or something like that um that's typically what i would have when i wake up mm. um and then moving towards more like your lunch then um like just like some low res stuff um looking at like i admit your passes and rices and things like that before the race but wow. nothing nothing crazy but taking like electrolytes on in the morning as well is pretty important. Yeah. Like maybe when you wake up with breakfast, having like a bottle of electrolytes and yeah. things like that. Mm. Yeah. Is it going to be hot yeah. on the race day? Uh, the Saturday for the women is meant to be really hot. I think it's meant to be well over the thirties and then there's a cold change coming in and then it's meant to be like 20 degrees for Sunday. So really? I don't, I don't, yeah. So I don't know if maybe that's why it's going to be pretty windy on Sunday. Cause that's got to change somehow. Oh yeah, thirty-one on Saturday, yeah. clouds, and then twenty-one on Sunday. Yeah, that's Geelong, all right. That's bizarre. That's Melbourne for you, Victoria. <laughs> you know, I came to. I don't get it. Hey, <laughs> when I flew to, I mean, flew to Geelong first for for the Bay Crits. Yep. And then I was going from there to Ballarat, then from there to Adelaide. I didn't yeah. bring a jumper. I actually laughed at myself. Yeah, when yeah. I was Packing, going, come on, mate! I don't need a jumper. And then. You know, second, through all the seasons. Oh man, I've copped it big time. I had to go buy one. You're, get, you're from Perth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay with. Um, but yeah, well, twenty-one. Okay, so twenty-one. That's pretty good temperatures. Um, yeah. Okay, so the race. How do you think the race will play out? Do you think? Oh. You know, break away or, or go on that first little climb because that seems like perfect launch pad for someone. Yeah. Go. Um. It's so hard to say, hey, like it honest I could say could say what I reckon now and on the race Sunday it's completely different. But if if I had like the most the thing that makes the most sense to me would be obviously um like you know what I mean? Um the break goes early kind of thing and um it's controlled and then once it gets to the circuits it comes back together and they kind of race the final like that way. Mm. Um but for some reason I, I don't know if it's gonna be like that this year, especially with the wind. Yeah. And the crosswind sections like go for quite a while. And then also because it's going to be reverse direction, you're when you're coming back, you're coming back to the circuits by going along the coast way. So oh, yeah. if yeah. so if like the crosswinds start getting um a bit dicey, like I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe some splits happening before the circuit. Oh, I see. I'm looking at the map. You know what I mean? 
Yes, I, I yes, think, yes. And I think it will make it a bit more interesting going this way because in previous years when it's gone, um, what would that be? The When it's gone clockwise direction, yeah. like on the map, um, the crosswinds are being like so early on in the race that nobody really wants to take it up and ride because they've still got like 120 k to ride. If, yeah. if they split it straight out of the out of the blocks, they've got like another 120 k's to ride in the crosswinds um, to get to the before you get to the circuit. So um, maybe it's a bit different this year where the crosswinds are a bit more sustained throughout the race, and then also the crosswinds are also going to be a factor coming into the final. Yeah, I'm just looking at the map. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I don't know, maybe there's a, a split before it gets into into there. Because it does go past where the Bay Crits happens, eh? Yeah, it does, yeah. Okay, because so I don't know where everything is in Geelong, but yeah. familiar. I see what you mean. Yeah, right. So yeah. you go so, to the centre of, you know, you go to the centre of the earth, then you go back down to the coast towards Torquay, and then you're on the coast for like 30K. That looks yep. hectic if it's windy. Yeah, I know. So if that's like crosswinds the whole way along there, Oh, that's good. And then you come yeah. back towards the coast on the other side where the bay is, and then you've got some crossy action, like 10Ks before the first Yeah, circuit. yeah. Right. I know, that's what I mean. So that's why I honestly don't know. Like it could be, there could, could be so many different things. Is there a, there is a KOM jersey, eh? Yeah, KOM and Sprint. And Sprint, okay. Yeah. And where's the first Sprint at 60K? Honestly, off by heart, I couldn't tell you right now. It's at 60. I'm actually looking at it. Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah, there's one at 60, lol. There's one at the start of the crosswinds and then, well, the coast area. And then there's one at 80, 82. So, yeah. wow, both of those are at the start and finish of the thing. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, so who knows? Honestly, who knows? What's what's better for someone in your position, right? So um, you obviously want to show yourself, like, what would be – is it better for you to see how far into the race you can get last through those circuits and try yeah. you know, sneak into um, the top sort of 20 or something? Or is it better to yeah. go for a sprint jersey or a KOM? Well, what, what do you um, think is best to you? For, for me at the moment, honestly, I, I think like later the better at the moment. Yeah. Um, With like how I'm currently going, I like I would really like um like a top five. I, I honestly think that's, quite realistic at the moment it's just yeah. more so like getting it's just like getting to that point it's so hard to say like you have the legs for that but it's just like getting to that like getting in position to be able to race for that in the final um is obviously a different thing yeah um, especially with like all the world tour riders as well um all the world tour teams and then because you are a national team as bad as it sounds you are kind of like it's so much it's, it is hard at the whole position because Definitely. like you have like your world tour teams and the there's this like random team that they don't race all year and yeah. then they're like trying to like to like get in and get into good position. So like so, uh, I mean, what you're saying is like for people listening, if you're in a big line, it's in a crosswind, and you know people are trying to find the wheel, and you yeah, know, someone on the Aussie team coming back. If yeah, some of the World Tour teams will let in a World Tour rider for sure because they know yeah. that person's not going to drop the wheel. So yeah, yeah, a rider yeah. they've never raced before coming yeah, back exactly through the sure. picks. Yeah, that's also an example. In? Yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. They, so you've got that to battle. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all yeah, also that stuff. Also, if it maybe like you're trying to hold good position going into say you're going into the last lap or the last like circuit, and then it, like it's the key point of the race, and there's only a few spots where it's like is ideal position, and like you're racing against all like the best riders, and everybody knows where to be, and everybody wants to be there, and then say you have like this random like team that you race, it's like the one race you do against them a year, and they're trying mm. to also be in that position, uh, it does make life a little bit harder. Mm. Um, so, so there's also like those factors as well. Um, so for me, um, just like kind of like getting deep into the race and being mm. like entering those circuits as fresh as possible mm. to be able to make the final selection mm. um, would be like the most ideal thing. Um, but then it's also like, say it starts splitting up in the crosswinds, even though even though like I'm not a big 80 kilo rider that would thrive in the crosswinds. It's always like, if you make the front split, it's also good for you as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> all right, we'll see. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that section there about Cadell's road race and make sure you follow Elliot when he's out there racing on Sunday. But now it's time to get into Elliot's story from 2022 of his really, really, 
hectic crash and aftermath as well uh, after his time in Belgium and in Europe. So if you're out there, you've been knocked off your bike before, you've come down in a race, you've really messed yourself up or broken your collarbone, got an injury, whatever, and you're struggling coming back from, uh, you know, to get back motivated and get back into form and just to recover um, and back on the bike. This one is definitely for you. A story of, um, yeah, just dealing with something super, super hectic and a nice bit of perspective at the end as well. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's Elliot Schultz on a story from 2022 and his nasty recovery from his crash in Belgium. Yeah, so I, I took a I took a full year off, and then um, Pat Lane got in contact with me, and then this was asking if I wanted to start back up again. Um, and then I was kind of going through like periods of where I was like, oh, um, I want to give it a crack again because I'm being naive um, to it all, knowing like deep down you still have like your goals and aspirations and everything yeah. um, to to be a professional. Um, and then the next day I'd just be a bit stubborn about it and just like say, no, I don't want to do it anymore, but not. I don't know it, it's hard to explain just like thinking about like is this everything except cycling like mm. it was the it was just like the whole living by yourself different language yeah. like all that stuff no friends yeah. no family at at that age so i was just trying to like tell myself that's not what it's always would be like yeah um so then eventually i was just like yeah sure. like I, I need to finish what i started kind of thing yeah. and i'm glad i did so then i started with inform and pretty much like did the first half of the season with Inform um, racing in Australia, but obviously the whole year, but like before we went to Belgium. Yeah. Um, so did that. And then there was the break in racing. And then Pat was like, um, I think it'd be like a good opportunity for you guys to like head overseas and do a block. Um, and he's really supportive with that. So he like, allowed us to go over and do that. Mm. So then get in, get to Belgium. And um, this is a pretty funny story. So I was meant to, go and do a i was meant to go do a kermis uh, well my coach pete actually my coach pete um had organized for me to go do um one of the tdf kermises oh, yeah. um and it was literally it was like it was the next day after i landed um from like traveling from australia and i was going to have to catch catch a train for like hours and hours and hours um to this crit i think it was going to be like an eight hour train ride to this crit to then just go race a crit and then go eight hours home and this was like and then this was the next day after um the next day after just like traveling from australia oh and then so i I know i should have i put in hindsight i probably should have done it but i was just so exhausted from um just the travel um that i I didn't and then instead i was just like i'll just go race um this random (laughs) kermis just like get going again and um so i ended my mate tristan uh, my teammate he didn't end up going to the race um and then i decided i was just like oh i'll just i'll just go have a race so i ended up just i ended up just riding there by myself um to this kermis and then i had like had my backpack on and had like everything in there like i had like my phone and all like my passport um just just everything i i needed yeah and i get to the race and then it's a weird, like these random Kermises, like they're pretty cool, but I don't know. It's just like they set up these pop-up festivals and then within the festival, there's like this random Kermise that happens. And it's pretty cool. Like the atmosphere is pretty cool. So it did sign on. And then I, because I was the only person there and there's all these teams and stuff there, um, I just threw my threw my bag into this into the corner of this pub and was like, oh, I'll get my phone and everything at the end of this race. <laughs> And then pretty much um, like start and then during the race, um, it got to this stage where it was a super, super fast, super strung out on this like really, really rough road. And then when I checked like afterwards, when I eventually got my Wahoo, we would have been doing 60Ks an hour like easily. And I was, it was strung out and then it kind of like eased up a little bit. And then I remember I like pulled off, like pulled off from my turn and then was like easing up and just like filtering back through the group. And this this random person was like doing a massive flyer and like lost control and somehow just like crashed straight into the back of me. Like like I didn't even see it happen. So he like crashed straight into the back of me. Um and then I just like remember hitting the ground like so hard. Oh. And I remember I remember like hitting the 
lying on the ground and knowing like, I had really hurt myself. Oh shit! Yeah. But then, but I it it was like that bad that I was like, okay, I need to like really be calm because I know how bad this is. Oh, um, and then also because I know like, like I'm by myself. Yeah, I think because no, the like no, my phone is in the pub. Like my mates, like Somewhere an else. hour and a half. Yeah, like yeah. an hour and a half ride away. Um, where we were staying, like, and then obviously like family and stuff is back in yeah. Australia. Yeah. And like instantly I knew I had like done some bad stuff. Um, like to myself, I just like smashed my, just fully smashed myself up. Yeah. And, and then pretty much just lying there. Um, and they didn't give me any painkillers for like two hours. Um, and I've like talked to people about like why they've done this and nobody really understood why. And when people have, I've talked to who had crashes in Belgium as well. I've like had accidents. They've been able to get access to like painkillers straight away. Yeah. But for, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know, maybe if they, because of like hitting my head, they wanted to do a scan first or something, but they didn't let me have any painkillers. Um, so I was in the worst pain of my life for like the, the next two hours. Um, and I ended up, I ended up having eight broken bones. So really? it was like, yeah. So I so ended up having eight broken bones. I fully smashed my head up. I had internal bleeding in my stomach. Like it was, yeah, so it was really bad. So I was in a lot of pain. So pretty much then I had bruised up my lungs and everything. So fast forward a little bit. Um, obviously I, I had to get an operation, but I couldn't get my operation straight away because I had like my internal bleeding. Right. Um, and then I also like, had bruised up my lungs and everything like that really badly so uh, you know allowed to go under for an operation when oh, right yeah yeah with all that stuff going on so and i had a, you on and then you're in the hospital on your own yeah yeah so, so this 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 story is pretty long but i don't know it might be interesting to somebody um so so i did so that was two weeks so two weeks from then um to be able to get my operation Oh, man. um so that was long so it ended up getting my operation um i had to get my sh- my collarbone my collarbone operated on and my elbow um because they were like the most the most messed up so i ended up breaking my elbow my shoulder my um collarbone and a bunch of ribs um my scapula yeah. like oh yeah a whole bunch of stuff and um so got my operation and then I don't, it, was, it was summer at the time. And in the, in the um, hospital I was in, in, it was a place called Denza. It was, I don't know, it was kind of like an older hospital. Yeah. And it was, it was so hot. Like, like they had no air con, like the, the fans were horrific. So they're like sticking ice packs on me, like to cool my body down. So like after the operation, like I was just sweating, like it was hot. Um, and then the insurance company, um was like trying to organize like a um a taxi for me to like go back to court track where i was staying um except the taxis there it's just like a mission here I, like to all like i don't know you, you just can't find them for some reason i don't know if it was just like my luck but it was really hard to organize um so then the they just kept on bailing like they were trying to organize these taxis and then they would bail so then i ended up having like to walk to this train station like a few days after like my operation <laughs> <laughs> and then and then catch the train like catch the train back to no. core track yeah so then then the plan there was i was just gonna um do my rehab over there and then because at this stage it wasn't that bad like the like compared to the grand scheme of things right. like i was gonna do my rehab over there um and then probably this is probably now five days after my operation because i did like three or four straight after in the hospital and now i've been able to leave yeah um so i was able to leave and then i remember this one night just having like the worst headaches of my life like i didn't know i didn't know what it was and i just didn't feel right and it was like at midnight and then i couldn't sleep i didn't know if it was like because it was hot Hmm. and then i remember like waking up in the morning i still had it and i was like maybe like there's something with like I just maybe I just need a coffee because I haven't had a coffee in like a week. You know how you like get yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Withdrawal, like maybe I just need a coffee, and then I had my coffee and like this never went away. And then it was so crazy. Like in the space of six hours, like from like me in the morning, um, I just went downhill so fast, and it was so weird because um, 
I was having a nurse come each day to change all my dressings because like, keep in mind, like it wasn't just like the operation. Yeah, the rush. I'd also like the, the whole side of like my book was, it was yeah. disgusting. Like, it was so much skin off and such a pain. Yeah. So I had someone like daily coming to check my things and in the morning they checked and it was like fine. And, but then like, as the day went on, it just like got worse and worse and worse. And dead set, like by the time I was, by the time I came to the afternoon, I was like shaking. I had like, I felt like I had like COVID, but I also felt like I had food poisoning at the same time. Like I was, I was feeling sick. And then around my wound on my collarbone, it was just like getting super tender. And it got to a point where it was like fully just full of fluid and like going up my neck. And um, it got to a point where I was like struggling to breathe. And like every time I would swallow, it would be like the, the worst pain ever. So, so then I was just like, this is like not good. So um, this Belgium doctor came to my thing, um, came to my apartment and he was like, he's like, get in the car. Like we're taking to the hospital now. And like fully just like took me himself to back to the hospital. Um, and then, I remember getting to the hospital and I was waiting there for ages and I was in the worst pain. Um, and I was like, so confused of what was going on. Like I just had no idea. Um, and then pretty much as like it went on, they started like looking and it was pretty, pretty like gross, like my collarbone, like obviously yeah. because now there's an infection, okay. um, except, except they didn't do any like tests or anything like that um, about like what, um bacteria it was um and then they also weren't very helpful at this stage as they were just like going to give me these random antibiotics and then also send me back to my apartment and then i was just like there's no there's no way i'm going back to my apartment like, i'm staying i'm staying the night and then pretty much like over like the course of the next few days it just got worse and worse and worse and i i just it felt like i was like it was felt like it was like not good um so i remember like i had temperatures of like 42 um it was really bad i was vomiting all day um like are you still on your own at this point yeah all by myself apart from apart from my mate tristan who was in um and he would come and visit every now and then and then also tristan's mom um was also on holiday so if she needed she would come and pop in um except at this no at this no she at this point tristan's mom had had to leave to go back to australia so she could see me and to like before my operation okay. and then after then then it was just me and tristan oh man um so so then yeah this like got got worse and pretty much like got sepsis and um like my, my got like blood poisoning from the infection so it was oh, a staph really? infection yeah so it ended up being a staph oh, infection yeah um and then pretty much just like was going crazy um so then i ended up getting three operations while i was there um so yeah so it was bad so but what then were those operations like, for Elliot? All clean outs and, and for the infection. Oh, to cut it all out. To they had to clean out all like the the gunk because it was just spreading everywhere. Oh, except yes, but when when they do a clean out, apparently it's like really aggressive and it like also damages the bone. Yeah. So so now like it, we're in a weird um situation because like keep in mind, like this is only like a week or two. Oh no, this is only like yeah, a week or two after I've just got my Colbert like plated and screwed because it was fully like mangled. Mm. So um with a infection like this, what happens is the bacteria clings onto the metal and it will it will just like build and grow and spread. And pretty much and pretty much um the only way to get rid of the infection is if you remove all the metal in the site. So yeah, I know. So it's like either the collarbone won't heal or like you're gonna have an infection. So we were like caught in this like crossroads. So they would, when I would, when I would get these operations on, they would like remove like parts of metal. Oh my God. To like start clearing out the, like the infection, but to make it like manageable. So the infection would never go. It would just like become a bit more manageable. Right. So then pretty much I remember it got to this one, one scenario where I was having like that much medication that I had to get put um, like with a pick line through like my jugular. Um, so I was being like fed medication, like through, like this, like through my neck. Yeah. Dude. Through like this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, yeah. Pretty full on. Um, because like my, I, 
and also I've my whole life I've had like a fear of needles. Like I'd have to like lie down when I go get a blood test and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. now like I'm like a, now like from during this whole thing, like I've become like a weapon at it because I've had that many like those <laughs> um what are they what are they called um IVs? Yeah, I've had that many I they they gave me that many it, it would be multiple a day yeah. where like it's I just got here really got used to it. So yeah, so then it got to that point. But I remember like going in um and the process to get this thing in your neck um however they did it is pretty a bit daunting so pretty much how they were going to do it is they like have you on this bed and then they tilt you upside down because if it, if you're like upwards like that air will get into your jugular and then like then you'll have air in your jugular and it'll cause like yeah. it'll go to your lungs which isn't yeah. good yeah. so they have to like tilt you down and then they also have like this like machine where they can see it so they're like lining it up like this and then also with like the needle ready to like it's a real weird process and it was pretty scary because it's also like happening right there and then what were you feeling when you were in the chair yeah i was like not keen on it at all um and then and then they usually would i think i can't remember i can't remember what's on my i'm not too sure but they did it on the opposite side that they were technically meant to do it on Right. Um. So, but so then, what happened was, is they ended up like bailing on the idea. Um. Like the 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 surgeon, like before he did, it, he was about to do it, and then he goes, "No, no, we're not going to do this. It's like too dangerous, or something oh, like that." Shit. So then, like they bailed on it, and then I went back to my, like went back to my room, and obviously, like the infection is still getting worse. So I had to go in for another operation. Go in for the operation, and I like I remember waking up and I had this thing in my neck. So it's pretty like annoyed because i was happy not to have it but then yeah. i've like woken up and i didn't even know i was getting it and then i had this random thing so f- fast track a little bit um now i'm down to like one screw holding my collarbone together after i've had like multiple and like all these plates so i had like this one screw just holding it all together um but it because the metal's still in there the infection like can't yeah um can't be Go killed on. yet but i got to a really good point so now um I was cleared to be able to, like healthy enough to fly back to Australia. Um, and this is probably, probably I've done six weeks now in hospital at this point in Belgium. Six weeks after your crash? Yeah. After my crash. Um, what point was the, was the, was the neck thing in? Um, pro- the last two weeks. Okay. All right. So then two yeah, weeks yeah. after that, you were then well enough to be able to fly back to Australia. Fly back to Australia. Yeah. So then also like to take that thing out of your neck is pretty like, annoying as well because they have to like flip you upside down and it's like a massive line and then you have to like hold your breath and push outwards whilst they take it out and and they're like telling me it's fine and um like if you do it properly um but i remember like they took it out and then instantly i had like these like really weird pains like in my neck and i was like telling them about it and um they just like said no no it's fine like don't worry about it it's just because you've had a like had this line in your neck for so long it's like damaged the muscles so then like now, like, so I've got like this weird pain now, like all the infection and everything. And now um, the insurance like companies like being able to get me a flight back to Australia. So then like two days later, I can go back to Australia. Yeah. Um, which was a pretty funny story because we were not organized. It we were like, oh, this taxi is probably, it's like pushing it to make this flight on time. So long story short, like, the taxi ended up like sleeping through his alarm. So I missed like my flight back to <laughs> miss right back to like the whole taxi story. So they missed my flight, but then they rearranged another one. So I was just waiting at the, the airport until my next flight. So I got this flight back to Australia. Then I landed in Australia. That um, must have been a good feeling. hitting. Yeah, it was a really good feeling. Yeah. But then I had to go straight back into hospital again. Um, and then, because the infection started getting bad again. Wow. So pretty much um, what they found when I got home is that like the infection was like destroying like all my collarbone. Yeah. Um, so it, it was like pretty urgent to like get it sorted. Um, so did another week and a half in this Australian hospital um, in Brisbane before like the last operation. But then right before I like went into my last operation, I was telling the doctor about like this pain in my neck that I had been having. Right. Um, and then they like took me down to get a, a scan and turns out like I had like this like massive like blood clot like in my jugular this 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 like this whole time. Yeah. 
this whole time that yeah we didn't worry about it and i had like flown home from australia with it and everything so then so so then like because of this they were going to like postpone my my surgery because they weren't then weren't going to be allowed to like get an operation whilst you have like a blood clot still there yeah um because then if you do like blood thinning medication and stuff yeah. you can't so there was that except um but my collarbone was like getting bad and like it was just like it was just killing everything and it was just not good so pretty much they just like said they had to like risk it and it's like the first like one of the like times i've been actually like probably scared um they're just like we're gonna have to like operate and then you're just gonna have to go on like this medication like straight after your operation to make sure like yeah. no more blood clots form and you have and like this one doesn't travel anywhere so that was pretty scary um but pretty much like got all the metal removed and then and then for the next um the next six weeks i had to be on like this crazy um dose of antibiotics like every day oh, um so yeah so for like, the next six weeks to clear this um infection and then from then i got like the clear to ride and then i had 10 weeks before nationals so you you wouldn't have touched the bike that whole time yeah and then in 10 weeks you roll up and finish 15th in a road nas yeah you yeah dude that story's crazy yeah so um yeah it was pretty yeah pretty wild but you only got you, like, you must have had moments in that whole period where you thought you were gonna die yeah but i was, it was i didn't really like i was kind of just like asking the doctors well when it was really bad i was kind of just like um like as like am i okay and is like gonna make me sick and stuff and they were just like saying like oh it's not good but you'll be fine kind of thing okay. um and then it was and i just like wasn't really researching like what like these like blood infections and stuff oh, like, <laughs> like like i was just like trying hard not to yeah um yeah, but you don't do that yeah but honestly like in the moment i didn't where one of the hospitals i was in in belgium because i was in two different ones the guy some of the people i were like sharing um a room with they like made my life seem easy like for for like oh, what they had really um so it was like i don't know it was hard for me to feel bad for myself like for some like the things i was like would see if like for like that yeah. they were going through yeah like things that like they wouldn't be able to fix ever and stuff and yeah. i was kind of like oh it could be a lot worse to be honest um so that like made put things in perspective for me like whilst i was there but then it wasn't until like afterwards that like it was like trying to like, process it all and like oh, it was probably not not ideal <laughs> but yeah <laughs> But it was this crazy that like the at the time it was like just like broken bones and stuff that I thought was a massive problem. Except then when it becomes a issue like that where it's like yeah. so like you can't even see what the problem is. Yeah. Um. And then just all yeah. So it was crazy. So at at but at, yeah it was yeah it was tough. It was tough. Oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. It must have been. Uh, <laughs> what was the first bike ride back like? Um. It was good. I remember I was doing like. My first bike ride, I did like 130 watts for like half an hour. And my average heart rate was like 180. Yeah. <laughs> like it was insane. It, yeah. It was, it was quite a while like that. And I, there were like points where I was like, oh, like, I'm, like, cause I'm like getting to the age now where it's like time to like really like press on if you like yeah. want to like, like make it in a way. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is like not ideal. Um, but uh, yeah, like my family and friends. Uh, my coach, my girlfriend, and everything we were like super supportive. There's definitely like a lot of like tears and stuff. Yeah, um, it was yeah. a rough run, but yeah, got there in the end. That's another episode of the Brochery Podcast done and dusted. Thanks to Elliot. What a champion this guy is. I can't wait to catch up in uh, Melbourne for the Melbourne Awardable in, well, next weekend, actually. Uh, shout out to him for coming on and sharing that story with us and also his preview of uh, Cadell's with us and how he's, how he's feeling that race and, yeah, wonder how he's going to go. I actually think, looking at his road race result, he finished 16th in the Ballarat Roadie, which is incredibly good. Just the next rider from the finishing group that came into the line. I think he's going to have a pretty good shot. If he can position himself well, 
I reckon he does have a good shot of a top 10. So look out for him, young Elliot. And, uh, yeah, follow him for the rest of the year. Make sure you follow him on Instagram. He's got a nice Instagram page. And um, see how he goes. But, Legends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. We've got many more episodes coming. One or two more Australian-focused episodes, Legends. And then we're going to be stuck into some of the European riders and um, yeah, I'm going to try and change things up this year and, and try a few different things with some guests and I hope you enjoy so thanks for listening thanks to the sponsors of course Zwift, Attacker, Cyclic, Smith Optics all you legends and I'll see you on the next one